0: Friends, uh, good evening. Welcome to City Bible Church Uh, and to our first of what I hope to be multiple Bible talks. They won't all be focused on a certain issue, but just considering together what life issues, what important theological uh, positions uh, does the Bible address and and what does it say? Uh, For those who don't know, my name is Marwan and I serve as one of the pastors of this church. And I know that many of you are from different churches, and I just want to say I'm glad that you're here with us tonight. Uh, I hope that your time here, uh, as we consider what the Bible says about singleness, attraction, and dating, it will strengthen you in your personal life, but also it will bear fruit in the life of your church, of your home church. Now, if you're here and you don't have a home church, I want to extend an invitation and welcome you to come and fellowship and worship with us. We meet Sunday mornings uh, here uh, in the sanctuary at 1030. The Bible is a gift of grace to us from God, but we don't use it as we ought to. We, we don't turn to it as often and as regularly as we should. Often we look for life and wisdom outside of God's word. And, and yet, as Christians, that should be the first place that we turn to. Uh, from experience and from conversations, from observation, Christians have a lot of different views about singleness and attraction, about dating. Many of those views are formed by culture and tradition. Much of it is influenced by media. Some views, I'm sure many of you have heard lots of these things, uh, say they're Christian views, but really if you dig down just a little bit deeper, it's just culture and tradition. And so the question before us tonight is, what does the Bible say? My hope isn't to make you believe uh, one thing or or another. I want to encourage you and encourage all of us as Christians to consider what God has to say. We're not going to be able to cover all these topics exhaustively, but my aim, and I pray that what we do cover will encourage you and will strengthen you. All this preparation, this time, all who uh, came together, these talks are for your good and for the glory of God, and that's my hope. Uh, Let me just also say, I've already seen some of the questions. Uh, I'm encouraged by the questions that are being asked. The questions are too difficult. I'm just going to ignore it, act like I never, never even looked at it. Um, but hopefully even some of the questions they'll be addressed during the talk. So just to let you know about the night, we'll have three talks. After each short talk, we'll pause, I'll open up for questions, we'll have someone running around with a microphone. If you feel comfortable enough to ask a question, uh, I encourage you to. So we'll kind of have some dialogue in between each session. Uh, and then at the very end, we'll also have that dialogue after the third talk, um, but, but also I'll look at the Slido questions. And then we'll just kind of try to work, work through them as much as we can. Again, I, I guarantee you I will not have all the answers to all your questions, but my hope is that we can together look to what we understand to be authoritative and important and a source of life in our lives. So with that, let's pray, then we'll go to our first talk. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for, for bringing us here tonight. Lord, what a, what a joy to gather together to see brothers and sisters, many of us that we don't know one another. Lord, and that you've brought us here tonight, and we ask that you would speak to us through your word as you are faithful to do. Father, we know that uh, though I've prepared certain talks and there will be certain things that we'll discuss, Father, you know the hearts of every single one of us here tonight. And so we pray that you would do the work that only you can do. Father, you would encourage those that need to be encouraged. Father, that you would strengthen those who are weary and weak tonight. Father, that you would convict those who need to be convicted. Father, that's the work that you can do. and We pray that you'd work among us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Singleness, first talk tonight, first of three talks is on singleness. And what we'll do together is look to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Now all we really need to know, at least for our purposes tonight, is that this letter uh, has to do with Paul and his relationship with the church in Corinth. Paul established or planted the church in Corinth during his second missionary journey and he continued to engage with them. Uh, through letters and, 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 and different correspondence, sending people to answer questions to hear what's happening uh, over the years. And in this letter, he was addressing some of the questions that they had for him. So kind of like an old-school Slido. It's like, what's going on when this happens? And so they would send a letter, and he kind of compiled them and responded to them. The issues that he heard about, and just in general, Christian life teachings that he thought was important for believers to, to know. He wrote to them about Christian freedoms, about unity in the church, and how to handle sin in the life of the church. He writes about spiritual gifts, Jesus' love for us, and and also the importance of love in the life of the Christian. Then he also talked about relationships, marriage, and sexual sins. And in chapter 7, he covers several points on relationships, and that's where I want to spend our time for this talk tonight? I'll just pretend nothing was happening. Was something happening? Okay, I just need confirmation that I'm not losing my mind this early into the night. Uh, okay, uh, and, and again, so we're going to see in chapter 7 that he's going to cover several points on relationships, and that's where we're going to spend our time this evening. Now, what I hope that you'll see and more deeply understand is that singleness is a gift. Singleness is is a gift. Uh, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but I believe that should be on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. 7 through 9. Paul writes here, I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift, another has that. I say to the unmarried and two widows, It is good for them if they remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, since it is better to marry than to burn with desire. So Paul is writing this as a single man, right? And he says that he wishes everyone to be single as he is. Now, we should clarify that it's very likely, we don't know it for certain, but it's very likely that Paul was a widower. That means he was once married in his life, and either his wife left or or likely died. Uh, The reason that people believe this generally is because of the linguistic context of this passage, but also Paul was what? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, He was in the Sanhedrin. And so it's almost unthinkable as we look at culture and history and and, uh, uh, religious Judaism for someone of his religious status not to have been married. And so it seems that he was likely uh, a widow, a widower, But for our purposes, the main point is that he's writing as one who is unmarried. I wish that all people were unmarried as I am. Now, so we're going to get to his reason in just a bit. But notice that he calls each relationship status a gift, right? Each has his own gift. One has this, and the other has that. Now, I wonder if any of you, and you you can give me some sort of signal interaction. I wonder if any of you have ever heard of the gift of singleness. Is that something you've heard maybe in your Christian background upbringing. There's a gift of singleness. Now the idea of that is that some people are born with the desire and the preference to be single, to remain single for their whole life. Uh, this teaching usually comes from Matthew chapter 19 and also here from our passage in 1 Corinthians 7. Now I know that some people fit into this category Uh, And I've read of others who would say that they have this gift. But if we look closely at the passages, that's not exactly what Paul is teaching. That's not what he's writing about here. Now, whether it's a decision that a person has made on their own, maybe a situation that's left them to be single, or just a lack of desire, the point is that there is a deep contentment in their status. right? And so Paul is teaching here that it isn't about Special and a spiritual gift of singleness, right? It's not like Paul saying, Wow, look at them. They have the gift of singleness. That's how I thought this was. But that's not what he's talking about here. No. He's saying that singleness is a gift. Now, we're going to develop this more in coming verses. uh, But I think one important point to pull out here is that singleness is a gift, it's not a curse, it's not a burden. Right? It's not something that you need to deal with until you get married. And I mention that because I know that some of you have experienced that, depending on your background, traditional or religious. It's okay, it's okay one day. One day you will be fulfilled through marriage. Right? It feels like there's something missing, but singleness doesn't mean that a person is less than or incomplete. The reason is because we aren't whole because we get married, we are whole Because of Jesus. I heard, I don't know who it was, but someone yelled out Jesus before even the first question was asked. Now, it's true. Most of the time, the answer in church is Jesus, no matter the question. It wasn't that time. Uh, But but it's true. We are whole, not because of whether we're married or not, but because of Jesus. And I think there's a a side point here that's worth saying and, and taking a moment to say. Friends, marriage won't complete you. Marriage won't fix you. Our wholeness can only come from God. Augustine of Hippo famously said, You have formed us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Not in a person or a romantic relationship, but in Him alone. The reason I mention this is because if you think that you will find this wholeness, this missing piece in your life in your spouse, it will bring many problems in your life and in your marriage because your husband or your wife is not meant to fulfill you in the ways that you expect. Only Jesus can. And so what that means is that you can be whole, complete, lacking nothing because you're in Jesus, whether you are single or married. Let's keep looking at chapter 7 verses 25 through 28. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 25 through 28. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Now, in the third talk on dating, well, never mind. Just leave that as a cliffhanger, unintentionally. We'll get to that soon. Uh, There's so much that can be said here. But the point is to live with contentment, right? Remain as you are. Isn't that what we read clearly that Paul's saying? Are you married? Stay married. Are you unmarried? Stay that way. Again, a few points that we can pull out here. For one, this is a call to live today in light of eternity. Don't live today just trying to get to the next season of life. Whatever that might be, but tonight we're, we're considering singleness, right? So if you're single and you desire to be married, don't live your singleness just as this waiting period that you just can't wait to get through. No, that's not living in contentment. That's not living as someone who's whole in Jesus. That's just waiting for something that's different. There's also a call here to recognize the sovereignty of God. If, you're, if you want to be married right now and you're not married, it's not because uh, you don't have enough game or style or whatever it might be. Right? It's not that you're too shy or, or whatever reason you might think, well, this is, you know, if, I just, if I just had more personality or whatever, whatever it is. No, it's you're single right now because God has you single. We can be content and grow in contentment as we realize that God is in control of all things. And as you recognize God's grace in this season, uh, you will rest and have peace. As you see also that there is purpose in your singleness. The next few verses we'll look at purpose, but I I first want to say that you can only see your current relationship status. Again, from the scripture, either you're currently married or you're single, you can only see it as a gift if you have a right understanding of two things the gospel and identity. Otherwise, you'll see, see it a burden. Well, I wish I had a different wife or a different husband. I, I sowed so much desire that I was married that I'm so unsatisfied right now. No. The only way that we can understand our current relationship status as a gift from God is if we have a right understanding of the gospel of identity. Friends, as, as followers of Jesus, you're not first someone who is single or married. That is not who you are in your deepest self. You are first someone who was brought up from death into life. You are a sinner who has been forgiven by God. You are an heir with Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God the Father. That's who you are. And Paul continues here to explain why being single should be seen as a gift. Look with me at verses 32 through 35. 1 Corinthians 7:32 to 35 I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she she may please her husband. I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. So where where is the gift in this season of your life? For most, I imagine you're single in this room. We can say the gift is that you can have a single-minded devotion. Single-minded devotion, right? Isn't that what we see here? Paul is saying that for those who don't have a spouse, you can devote your life to God in ways that you wouldn't be able to if you're married. Whether you're single for a few months or for a few years or for the rest of your life, you have, what the scriptures say, a special opportunity to focus more on your efforts and energies towards God. Now again, that might seem lame. Like, yeah, that sounds nice, but you're over-spiritualizing my desire for marriage, my hope to connect with a person that I'll fall in love with. But the only reason that we uh, we see this as being less than is because I don't think we have a right understanding of God. At least a deeper understanding that we need to continue to grow deeper. If we think that the point of all things... And the end of all things is ourselves and our own pleasures. And yes, your experience of singleness is just a season that's waiting for an end. And you work towards that end. But if we rightly understand who we are in light of eternity, in light of the King of glory, in light of the creator of heaven and earth, if we recognize that he and his glory and his ways are more important and more beautiful than anything else on heaven, in heaven or on earth, there will be a deep delight and a joy that you have the opportunity to devote more time to him and to his work. It's not bad to be married, not at all. Dated at 26, married at 27. Just some of you answered, so somewhere in between, in between those. Not 39, where's Louie? You, you're way off, you know I'm 40 now. That would be very confusing. I have a seven year old son and all these things, right? Uh, but it's not bad, bad to be married, not at all. Marriage is described in the scriptures as a beautiful gift. Children are, are said to be a blessing from God. And God does use that stage of life for his glory as well. But Paul, again, in our passage, is pointing out an issue of a practical reality. If you're single, you don't need to make as much money. Right, you don't have to. Did someone say amen? Yeah, great. Um It's true. Right? You don't have to coordinate your schedule with your spouse. You don't have to find a babysitter so you can both go out to do something. Right? You have less responsibilities at home, which means that you have more space to serve God. It's, it's an issue of a, a, a practical and a, and a real reality in your life. Paul says that in your season of singleness, whether, again, it's a, for a moment or for a lifetime, you can have deep contentment and purpose and a single-minded devotion. Now, let me say just one last thing for this talk again. There are going to be three short talks, uh, and then we'll open up for some questions. The Bible, even though singleness, you can be whole and complete and remain unmarried, the Bible is very clear that none of us were created to be alone. Right? We're not good on our own. But we don't need a spouse. We need community. We need friendships. We need family. We need accountability. We need support. We need one another and we see this description of what life looks like as a part of a spiritual family, the community and the gathered people of God in the local church. We need those things. And, and, and I want to encourage you to, to uh, find life in your church. And if you're not a part of a church, please come here. You need us as much as we need you, but you don't need a husband or a wife to be stable or fulfilled or happy in this world. We are whole in Christ and in his body of believers. For our second talk, let's now consider attraction. Attraction. Okay, so I think to break the ice a bit more, uh, a fun way to start off this session is, uh, I'm, I'll mention different physical features that people are attracted to, and then you can raise your hand when I mention one that that you're interested in. <laughs> That's right, yeah, no. Uh, of, of, co- of course we would not do that. Uh, some of you don't know me, and so you thought, what is just about to happen? That's not gonna happen here. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, so no participation during this talk. Uh, but I will start off by telling you the main idea of the talk. So the main point, again a short talk, 10-12 minutes, uh, is this. Attraction is cultivated. So if you're taking notes, this is the point for our talk. Attraction is cultivated. Attraction is something that we can develop. Attraction is something that we can nurture. It can be cultivated more broadly through media and through culture. It can also be developed more personally through time and through interaction. That's how you can explain so many workplace romances, right? Where people falling in love because they went to the same school or grew up in the same neighborhood. What that means for our talk, and for better or for worse, is that you can grow an attraction towards good things and bad things. And ultimately, if we took this topic kind of all the way to the end, anybody can be attracted to anybody. And so we should have an idea of what the Bible says is beautiful. What does God say? say is valuable and attractive and of great worth with that we'll look at our text for this talk first peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 first peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 now again just very brief context what peter's writing about here actually the, the entire section uh, chapters 3 4 and part of 5 he's talking about submission and what that looks like different relationships how we're supposed to relate to government, how husbands and wife relate to each other, how children to parents. And so this is part of a bigger section of relationships. Uh, and, and here he's talking about earthly relationships and submission in marriage. But we can pull out a few points, and we will tonight, about attraction and what God's word highlights. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, wives... Submit yourselves to your own husband, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Again, a lot happening in this passage. And actually, a couple of years ago, we went through it as a church in the book of First Peter. So if you're interested to learn more, you can find a sermon, a little bit on a broader con- uh, context. But what we see in the passage is there's lots of contrasts, aren't there? Right? Beauty should consist of these things, but not those things. And so let me repeat them briefly. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles or jewelry or fine clothes Beauty is a pure and reverent life, a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, let me say, ladies, this isn't a dress code. And and I I say that mindful that some of you maybe have grown up in a place or in a church uh, and have been told this is modesty and beauty and holiness in the sight of God. And I I say, I'm sorry if if you've been told that this is a dress code for a Christian woman. Churches have have often missed the point of this passage and they set rules for what women should wear. No makeup, no jewelry, long sleeves, sermons about those. That's not what Peter's saying. And so, get your hair done if you'd like. Wear clothes that make you feel beautiful right? This text isn't meant to be restraining. This text is meant to be freeing. How? We're reminded here in this passage that worth and value and beauty is not in what you wear or in what you own, but in God who has made you who to be, sorry, who has made you who you are. I wonder if you see that. Don't let beauty consist of outward things. And so it's not saying avoid all those things, but don't let that be what you are known for. Don't let that be who your deepest self is. Right? There's a contrast here between inward and outward. Peter is telling us, don't put your hope or your worth in physical and temporary things. What did he say? Put your hope in God. There's a phrase in verse 4 that I really like, and it's important for us to consider together a bit more deeply. Great worth in God's sight. Do you see that? Great worth in God's sight. And so when we think about attraction, we need to ask ourselves, what does God care about? What is of great worth to Him? And the hope is that we will develop the same value system, the same categories of beauty that God defines, not our culture or our history, our experiences, whether good or bad, but as Christians who believe in God, desire to obey Him, and to pursue Him, and we believe that the Spirit of God dwells within us, right? transforming us and conforming us into His image, God's Word helps us to see what He values, it's good for us to remember that God, and this comes from, uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 16, God doesn't look at appearance or stature. Right? It's important for us to remember that humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. And so we can break this passage into three areas that we can categorize as of great worth in God's sight. Eternal over temporal, spiritual over physical, and inward over outward. So let me repeat those again. What is of great worth in God's sight according to First Peter chapter 3? Eternal things over temporary things. Spiritual things over physical things. And inward beauty over outward beauty. And so we can consider what the Bible says about character, right? These, these inward things. Consider what is of great worth and importance in the sight of God by looking to two passages. Proverbs chapter 31 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, Proverbs 31 addresses women. 1 Timothy 3 addresses men. But for the purposes of what does it look like to cultivate attraction, to see the things that God values and are of great importance for our purposes tonight and for this topic, these characteristics that I'll list are interchangeable. And so it's not like, oh, like women should be worthy of trust, but men, eh, right? So we're going to see that these are, these are things of what a person who's indwelt by the Spirit of God, who's following Christ, should reflect. Uh, these are things that we should desire to have grow in our own lives but also to begin to cultivate them as attractive. And so from Proverbs 31, we see, and I'm just going to kind of mention the characteristic and then give you the verse reference. You can, of course, read through it later on your own. I wish I'd have timed that at a better time. It's like, that would have been like, Jesus. Um, We see that noble character is far more precious than jewels. Verse 10. Worthy of trust, verse 11. Hard-working, verses 13 through 19. Cares for the needy. Cares for the needy and for others, verse 20. Stable, secure, and, and depending on how the kind of translation looks, light-hearted or of good humor. Right? They're able to laugh about things because they're not worried about the temporary things as much. Right, Verse 25. And lastly, from... Proverbs, verse 30, one who fears the Lord. Now in Timothy, the list of qualifications that we'll see, this is for pastors. A pastor should exhibit these things. And, and what I want you to notice is how simple and how ordinary these things are. Where there's not like a, some super spiritual powers. Just read your Bible, follow God, and trust Him, right? So let me, let me point these. These are both important and they're good. But often when we think about the person that you'd want to spend your life with, these simple things aren't on our minds. Should I ask you if you have a list of things you're looking for in a spouse? Okay. So I can see your eyes. Some of you have that list. It's like under your pillow. You're praying for this person with 75 specific details in their life, and you just know that God's going to bring them. So if you're, that's your understanding of a soulmate, uh, that's, not, that's not it. I had a list, uh, and I, I threw it away because it... It was, it was silly, uh, and, and it wasn't any of these things. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we'll cover these different things. And again, I'm just going to kind of name them out, uh, but you can, you can look at, the, at them later. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy about these uh, qualifications, these characteristics. I won't read them all because some are specific to the position of a pastor and elder, but he writes about being self-controlled sensible and respectable hospitable not a bully but gentle not an excessive drinker which again speaks about self-control not quarrelsome and not greedy and the last thing i'll point out is that this a person should have as you're thinking of either a husband or a wife someone that you're interested in developing this deeper attraction in someone who has a good reputation among those who are outside the church. I think this, this one's important to consider. If you find yourself attracted to someone that none of your friends like, that should redirect you. Right? You should say, I wonder why every person I know, both Christians and not, are warning me about this guy. It's usually a guy, isn't it? Right? That should redirect you. You shouldn't say, well, you don't know. I love him. Right? Whatever it might be. You see, we naturally think about physical and material things, which they're not, not important, right? They, they are important, but the problem is we either completely ignore what God's word says, and that's, again, the purpose of tonight, to say God has things to say about this important aspect of our life, or what we do is we elevate lesser things to become the most important things. So we will look at physical over spiritual, We'll think about temporary needs and pleasures and desires when we're considering our eternal outlook. And so we need to hear what the Bible says and begin to cultivate an attraction to these things. Third talk, dating. Uh, so today is January 12th, so, and you might be thinking, Pastor, I have already finished my Bible in a Year reading plan in the first two weeks of 2024, and I didn't read a single thing about dating. And first of all, I'd be very proud of you to have read the entire Bible in two weeks, and you know, you've encouraged me. Uh, but second, you'd be right. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't address the issue of dating at all. And so then it's, it's fair for us to ask, how are we going to look to the Bible to consider what it says about dating, or what we can learn about dating? Now, I'll start off by saying that dating isn't in the Bible because that was never the culture for most of human history. The Bible is a real and historic book that was written in time and space. And and dating is a newer concept. The the cultural practices of the day is what we hear about and, and, and read. And it's really still the case in many parts of the world that women are given away in marriage. And so that was what's happening there. So the concept of dating just doesn't even exist. But even though the Bible doesn't directly talk about dating or courtship, that's always the Christians say, oh, well, we're not dating, we're courting each other, or whatever it might be. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't directly speak about either of those things and doesn't prescribe uh, a certain process or a formula for how to get married. Because it doesn't address any of those things, it doesn't mean that the Bible has nothing to say about the subject. The Bible speaks about love, it speaks about relationships speaks about community. And, and there's much truth and wisdom and principles that we can consider and apply to the area of dating. And so to structure this talk, I uh, will have two outline points, goal and guide. That's going to be our two outline points. What is the goal of dating and what is the guide for dating? And what I was referring to in the first talk, I was going to get into here, these aren't rules, right? Paul actually in 1 Corinthians 7 says, I'm not writing you as, a, as, as law, but he's wanting you to consider. Use your mind, use, use uh, your discernment and, and what you know about the world and people and these kinds of things, right? And so this, this is uh, wisdom from the scripture and we'll consider that together. So the goal of dating and the guide or a guide for dating. Friends, if you're a Christian, the very simple end, the goal of dating, is marriage. Uh, it's not about companionship or romance, though those are wonderful benefits and joys of marriage. Dating isn't meant to give you the things that you get in marriage. It's meant to get you marriage. So it's not like, okay, well, we can kind of start to experience and see that's you know, whatever it might be. No, the, the end and the goal of dating is marriage. And there's a lot of things that can be said about this point. But I'll point out one thing. This means if you're a Christian, you shouldn't date a non-Christian. It's that's, that's biblically wrong to have an interfaith marriage. Uh, we can spend a long time if we'd like, and I'm happy to stay here longer tonight after we're officially done. Uh, but we can see throughout the Old and the New Testaments that it is biblically wrong, it is, is prohibited, it, it should not happen. And so, if Christian dating is meant to end in marriage, and marriage shouldn't be between a believer and a non-believer, then it's, it's a very simple understanding that you shouldn't date a non-believer. Now, I could just say it's wrong, and then just move on. It's a sin, most of you agree you know that, and just move on. But, but I want you to look at this Purpose of God through the eyes of wisdom, through using your understanding, I want you to consider together with me three quick things on why you shouldn't date a non-Christian. Number one, it's not ideal. Right? If you're a follower of Jesus, and I, and I mean a true follower, someone who's not just, here's my identity card, here's where my family is registered, you can see that we, you know, we belong to the, the, the household of faith. No, but if you're someone who has repented of your sins, who understand that there's nothing you can do to earn the love or the acceptance of God, If you understand that Christ has lived the life that you can't live and has died the death that you deserve, and that you are made righteous and made right and welcomed into the family of faith because of Jesus, not because of you. If you believe the most important thing you can believe in the world, then your primary passion is Jesus. Right? What that means, and this is why it's not ideal is that your non-Christian partner can never understand your deepest passion. They'll never understand your most true identity. Because again, you're not first someone who is married or, or not married. You're not first what you do for work. You're not first the son of someone or the father of someone else. You are first and foremost, most deeply, a person who's been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You're a person who has life. 1 Peter talks about you are a person that has a living hope because of the resurrected Christ. And so your deepest passion and your most true identity will not be understood by the person who is not a Christian. Number two, it will lead to issues relationally. And so your outlook and your purposes and your worldview in life are different. The Bible is very clear about that, right? It's as different as it is as light is from darkness and as different as life is from death. And if you're dating a non-Christian and that ends in marriage, friends, let me just tell you up front, the complications will be many. Raising your children as one example. How you view your money or how you spend your money for another. Number three, it'll lead to compromise. Uh, If your convictions aren't shared by the person that you're closest to, you will compromise your convictions. When I first prepared my notes, I said, it is very likely for you to compromise because I kind of want to soften it, leaving hope that maybe, just maybe, you'll be the one who won't be pulled down, but maybe you'll pull them up. But I think we can say very clearly and with Boldness. I can tell you that you're compromise. That that you will compromise your convictions, which can lead to sin and many other things. Now, before we consider the guide for dating, which is why you're all here, right? I don't know. Let's look together at a few different Bible verses, just to kind of set 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 a bit of of a grounding for this. And all these will be on the screen, and so you can follow along there. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. That love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, Adulterers or males who have sex with males, and it goes on to explain. But for our purposes, we we get the point. Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty-two. Flee from youthful passions, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Two more. Jeremiah chapter seventeen verse nine. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Lastly, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the wild does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until the appropriate time. Other translation would say, or maybe more literal, until it pleases, until it's ready. So I can quickly summarize these verses uh, in this way. Love and honor one another as brothers and sisters. Don't defile your bodies through sexual immorality. And lastly, our hearts are deceptive, and we can stir up emotions of love before we should. With that, let's consider a guide for dating. Now, Please don't hear me saying that this is the only way that it can be done right. It's not. But these two points that I'm going to share, they are shoulds, not musts. Right? But, but I hope that we'll all be able to see together that this is coming from what we've considered in God's word. Right? This isn't a rule and you're writing it down and then you go and say, I need to date only in this way. These aren't rules. This isn't a law. I'm not commanding you to do anything. But it is an exercise in wisdom. Again, as followers of Christ, we want to look to God's word to understand it and what he says here. And so uh, we'll keep in mind what we considered about singleness and attraction as we consider two general rules, very broad. Number one, dating shouldn't be individualistic or private. Dating shouldn't be individualistic or private private what what does that mean exactly it means that you should involve the community of God's people around you when God saved us when he saved you not only did he unite us to himself by this idea of a vertical reconciliation but also he's reconciled us to one another he didn't just save us and say okay I hope you do okay Go out into this world by yourself? No, he he brought us into a family, of others that he saved, and so we are united together through the blood of Jesus. What that means, as we continue in 1 Corinthians and just throughout the New Testament, uh, we understand that we need each other. As Paul describes the community of God's people as a body, uh, and he gets uh, gets really specific. You know, what what if the ear speaks to the nose, and says? You're not as worthy. I'm not, I'm not a no, so what am I doing in this part of the body? And, and so on and so forth. It, it, the picture he's trying to paint is showing that we need one another. We're not all the same part. We're not all the same person. And so we were brought into a community. Let's not, let's not forsake that. We are a people who need the wisdom and discernment from those who know us and those who care about us. Again, we just read that we know that our hearts can get stirred up can have those emotions of love before they're ready. And we know that our hearts aren't the most trustworthy, especially when it comes to issues of the heart and romance and desires. And so we need one another to help us see things that we don't see. Now, maybe there's things in the person that you're interested in that you can't see. There might be things in your own life that you need someone help to help you see, right? It's good for all who are involved that dating shouldn't be hidden and done in secret, and I understand why. I do understand because it's a little bit awkward. What if it doesn't work out? We don't want people to find out they're gonna make fun or make it a you know, bigger deal than it is. And so there's this temptation to just like, let's tuck away for a bit, let's figure it out on our own, and then when the time is ready, we'll surprise everyone. And I guess I'll just say that everyone already knows, usually, like, you know, people are aware of those things. That's why we need community, right? To speak into each other's lives. Now, I, I don't know if you've, if you've thought about this, but most of our lives don't deal with what's right and what's wrong or with what's good and with what's bad. If, if that was life, that would be actually a lot easier. I just would know. I don't do these things ever. and These are the things I should stay doing, right? But what is life? It deals with the gray areas of life. It, it, it deals with the shoulds and the maybes. Should I do that? Maybe this is the decision I need to make about my entire future, right? It's about exercising wisdom. And so we shouldn't take it upon ourselves to figure out anything, for one, but I think especially when it comes to matters as important as romantic relationships. And so here's an example. Let's say there are two lovely people here at City Bible Church. Both are believers, right? That's important. Check. Both love Jesus. Check. Both aren't married. Check. Can they get married? Yeah, of course. So then they should be able to date. Yes, but maybe we need some more information, right? Just because two people are technically able to be married, you want to find out, are they compatible? Are things happening? Are they in the right place of life? You know, we want to think about things. So let me give you more information. One is 18 and the other is 80. <laughs> Why are you laughing? They could fall in love, right? But here's the question. It's not an issue of right and wrong, right? Technically, they check off, yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous on purpose, right? Uh, it, it's not an issue of right and wrong, but there might be some conversations that they would benefit from, right? Some things that they might not have considered that would be good for them to consider before they start dating or moving forward towards marriage. Now, if they started dating in private, again, it's a bit of an exaggerated example, but hopefully you can fill in the, the details. But if they started dating in private, without involving other voices... What happens, and again, this is because our hearts, because we're humans, because we're, we're created with a spirit and emotions and, and feelings and experiences and desires, they might reach a place emotionally where it's too hard to stop. Technically, they're allowed to get married. It's not wrong. It's, it's not against God's word. But there may be areas of the life that will be affected because they didn't consider, they didn't involve other voices in their life. And it could bring much hurt and pain, right? And so we're mindful of that. Uh, second point under a guide for dating we're almost done they'll open up for q a dating should begin in groups dating should begin in groups and and there's a big like i have mine underlined and bolded in as the word should again this isn't a rule you're welcome to quote me but also quote that i'm saying should not must right and and this isn't always about being with other people this isn't about the issue of well we don't want you to fall into sin if you're alone after this time, you're going to sin. And so it's it's not like we're per- protecting you and afraid that you're not going to be able to uh, remain pure or holy or whatever that is. It's more of that, I think we can say this way, pre-dating should be getting groups. And let me explain. Usually, two people go on a date to get to know each other, right? That's at least Christian dating. That's that's the idea or an idea. Uh, there has to be some sort of surface level of attraction and interest. I'm not just going to date someone that I don't enjoy looking at or hasn't, haven't thought about anything about them. It's like never consider them once. I'm not going to ask that person I'm on a date, right? And so they pursue it to see if there's anything there. That's general idea of dating. Is there something that could work out? And, and that step has to eventually happen. That, that season in a relationship is beautiful. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun season of getting to know each other on kind of on a deeper level. But what I'm suggesting is that you can get to know many of those primary and those important things before ever taking that step and going out on date you can actually consider those biblically attractive right remember we considered in the second talk those great worth in god's sight things even better from a distance you're able to watch and observe because if they also like you back they're going to give them they're going to give you your their best foot right they're going to say oh yeah dress up and, and try to speak sweetly to you but what if they treat everyone else different except for you? So you're able to observe and be mindful of things that are important, that are eternal, that are inward, not outward, primarily. And when you see that those things in a person are good, there's a growing attraction, the encouragement is talk to someone about it and involve others. Again, imagine the 18-year-old to the 80-year-old. So okay, like I really find this person attractive. Well, that's good. Let's talk about it. But maybe the counsel, before it goes any further would be maybe not to move forward again being attracted to someone is good it's natural so it doesn't have to be weird i think if there's time for a fourth session i would say you don't have to be a weird christian especially when it goes to dating like don't don't you know don't just start talking about crazy things and, and you know kind of disturb each other or whatever it might be it, this is a natural part and this is a, a beautiful thing it doesn't have to be private just because we're not sure how it's involved in the life of the church And if there's some confirmation, you speak to someone, hey, I find this person attractive, what do you think? Uh, Then consider pursuing it. Again, one thing to be mindful is you might be falling in love with someone from a distance because they have uh, a pure heart and beauty and a great characteristic, but they have zero space for you in their mind. So, I mean, relationship is, is, is both thing, right? But as you pursue it, you still use wisdom and community. You're still keeping in mind eternal things and spiritual things. Again, friends, this this isn't about right and wrong. This is about honoring God and honoring one another. And so as as we close our time here, for one, it shows that you're trusting him with one of your great desires. Uh, There's a sort of moment-by-moment faithfulness that God God loves and he wants for us. We see throughout the scriptures and we've considered some of the verses that we're called to love one another and to honor one another one another. And at times, it's a sacrificial love, right? It's at, at our own cost to show love and kindness to someone. And so, so these points provide space to both protect your heart but also honor your brother and sister. And, and the reason is because this will be the last thing I say you might not end up marrying the person you date. Even if you take all these steps of wisdom you took perfect notes and you say, I'm ready. So, okay, great. And we think about it, it, it might not work out. There are countless reasons why dating might not end up in marriage, and, and that's okay. But that's why when we date, sorry, that's why when we date and how we date matters. As we strive to be faithful to God and content in God in all things of our life, as we prioritize loving God and one another, He will be faithful to us in the joys of life and also in the heart, heartbreaks. Friends, let's remind each other that the end of all things isn't dating or sex or marriage, but Christ and His glory. And the more that we believe that, the more that we understand it more deeply, we will experience deep joy and satisfaction in God, whether we get married or remain single. Amen. (laughs)